Well, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, and let's see if I can kind of do this sermon thing here again. Philippians chapter 1. What book? Chapter what? Okay, and if you don't have a Bible with you, we should be having some people coming around with Bibles, and you just flag them down. We're big about the Bible around here, because frankly, you don't want to hear what I think. Uh, You want to hear what God thinks about things, so we're going to dig in. The letter to the Philippians. Uh, This letter, written by the Apostle Paul as the human author of it, it just screams one. It just screams one. Uh, Many colors, many stripes, but one. Oneness is a beautiful thing. Oneness is a powerful thing. Oneness is a joyful thing. And the reality is we all love oneness. I mean, we all do. I think about it. When a marriage is firing all cylinders and as a couple, you're one, I'll tell you, it is sweet, isn't it? It is just a sweet, not perfect, but firing on all cylinders for Christ and being as one, it's a great thing. A work group at your work or at school, a department even at work that's functioning as one, it's just a delight to be able to be a part of that kind of a thing. Uh, Parents watching your children and seeing your children, uh, siblings uh, functioning as one, uh, it's it's a delight. I'll also say this, seeing a church, being part of a church, that just not by name but for all reality and real is one, isn't that great? I mean, it's, we're even creaking one. It's just, we're one. It's just, it's a delight. There's nothing else like it. Sports teams. Debate teams. Music teams. Military combat units. All is one. Love it. It was Little League Baseball. Summer of 1971, Upper Arlington, Ohio, on the outskirts of Columbus, Ohio, Team Delaware. We were named all the teams, had Indian names. Yeah, so much for that nowadays, huh? This team, the team that I was on, was totally the team of, uh, let's put it this way, it was the Island of Misfit Toys. I mean, look at that. Uh, are they, you know, if you were another team looking at that, ooh, so scary, right? Hey, here, let me tell you a little bit about this team. Right over here, number 36, Phil. I don't remember Phil's last name, but I do remember this one thing about Phil. Phil had an arm that was a gun. He was our one good player. And he could pitch and throw that thing. And I know that because I was the catcher. And at the end of the games going home, I would always have a red hand as a result of the catching. Do you see me? 20, who's 22, 30, no, 29, right over there. The guy with the shrugged shoulders. Yeah, I think we took the picture after practice, um, but it was a delight. Let me also tell you about, uh, we had Phil then we had the vast majority of the rest of the team was just average Joe Bo players like myself. And then we had three or four, I'll call them Georges. I'll keep George's last name out of it. But probably today, George is probably like a CFO of a Fortune 500 company or something like that. But George is right in the middle, number seven. <laughs> He's so cute, but George could not throw a ball. 
He literally, first day of practice, didn't know whether he threw with his right hand or his left hand. George couldn't bat. George couldn't throw. Well, my dad was the coach. My middle brother, older than me, I was the youngest. My middle brother, David, was, was our assistant coach on the team. My dad made the rule that on this team that what we were going to do was every kid played two innings guaranteed. We were five-inning team or games, and you guaranteed two innings. And he made that rule before George came on the team. <laughs> <laughs> and the Georgia likes came on the team. But it was an incredible thing because dad's idea was, listen, you're just elementary school students. You're just learning the game. And so that was dad's deal and uh, actually got mocked for that a little bit by a few coaches because it would be towards the end of the game. We weren't doing so well and George went out to play. Well, it was an interesting season. We got through the season and uh, Team Delaware made it to the playoffs. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. This is exciting stuff. Now, here's part of the reality of that. Uh, it seemed like about 50% of the teams made it to the playoffs. The way they structured the beginning of, you know, you can't make any kid feel bad. So we made it to the playoffs. So we weren't so impressed by that. But the fact was, is that here's how the situation was taking place was all the parents, because if you lost that game in the playoffs, the season was done. So the deal was, is all the parents had gotten together and planned to have the end of the season be that night. And they had the pop and the goods and the whole, the party, the end of the season party was planned before we started the game. Why? Because even the parents knew we were going to lose. <laughs> Guess what? We won! Yeah, yeah, baby, we won, and we were shocked, they were shocked, and so they had to keep all the pop and everything for another day. So then we get to the next game. We won! We won, I mean, we were firing on all cylinders there, the misfit toys, and, uh, and then we're in the semifinal playoff game. If we win this game, we go to the finals, I mean, the world championships. So we're in the semifinals. We won! It was like amazing. I, we were just, it was one of the most delightful times of my life as a little kid. We are in the championship game, and it was literally like David and Goliath. I remember because I was the catcher, as I mentioned, and so I would be there, and these other kids, I mean, they were huge, and we weren't. And, uh,. So we played the championship game, and it was a delightful thing. And we won! <laughs> Woo! It was like here we are, fourth and fifth grade, and we took on the universe. It was a kind of oh, it was so delightful. I I'm having so much fun with it because I kid you not, I still, as you can tell, I love that. <laughs> it's, it's one of those deals where here's the here's the reality of it. Oneness is a beautiful thing. And when you're a part of something where one is going on, <laughs> it's fantastic. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'll say this, during the games, during the time, it wasn't always so easy. And in fact, we had some hard days and some hard times. And it didn't come real easy. But now looking back at it, oh. 
I wouldn't want to be anywhere else on the planet Earth at that point in time. It was a blast. Oneness. Now, let's kind of reel it in and change a little bit of direction, but similar thing. Let's go to Paul and the Philippians and in their day. Because Paul and the Philippians, the, the reality is, is even though Paul is way over here, 800 miles apart from each other, and the church in Philippi over here, Paul's first Europe, Europe church plant, as Erica talked about a couple weeks ago, there was a oneness thing that was going. The church in Philippi, they were poor. They were a poor church, and yet they were one together. Here Paul is over in Rome. Not in a good situation. And yet these guys were one together. Paul loved the Philippians. And in fact, what book of the Bible are we in? And what chapter? Let's look at verse 1 here. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Uh, you remember uh, a few weeks when Eric was, was teaching and the word servants... Uh, really kind of in all reality is what word? Slaves. I want to take a few minutes here, kind of this morning. uh, I'm going to spend about half our time setting some not different groundwork, but kind of setting some, emphasizing some additional groundwork for what we're going to talk about in these three verses we're going to cover here towards the end today. So let's do this. Turn in the left of your Bible, go to Mark chapter 8. Because I, I want to have us help grasp some more uh, this servant-slave thing. Where does this come from? Oh, why is this important? Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Well, let me pick up here. Uh, chapter 8. Jesus has been with the disciples now for a good bit of time. And verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Now, this is not... Uh, where the Philippian church is a different area. And, and on the way, he asked the disciples, hey guys, who do people say that I am? Listen, he knew who people said he was. He was getting to a heart, a uh, big question here in just a minute. And they said to him, well, Jesus, some say that you're John the Baptist, come back alive. Others say you're Elijah. Others, one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, hey guys, here's the question. But who do you say that I am? I just want to tell you, that is the question for all time. Hey, who do you say that Jesus is? So we asked him, who do you say? And way to go, Peter. Oftentimes sticks his foot in his mouth, but way to step forward as a leader. Peter answered him and said, you are the what? Christ. Listen, that word there is a title. The entire Old Testament is wrapped up in that one word. He's not telling him, oh, you are, uh, this is your last name. He's telling him, you are the Messiah. You are the one that's from the very beginning. In fact, we can go all the way back to Genesis. You're that one. And here, Peter just nails it out of the park. Verse 31 And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's him, must suffer. What? Must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. 
And he said this plainly. There was no question about it. They knew exactly what he was said. He said it plainly. And Peter, confused by all of this, it's like, no, I, he, they were, their mindset was is that, no, the Old Testament teaches you're supposed to come and sit on the throne of David and be like the world conqueror. And it's like, no, you're not going to be rejected. And uh, he begins to rebuke Jesus. Not quite a good choice to do, huh? Verse 33, but turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Wow. Peter, you are not setting your mind on. You are not thinking the things of God. Peter, you are thinking the things of man. Verse 34, and Jesus called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, hey, listen, if anyone would come after me, who? Anyone. Does anyone include you and me? Yeah, it does. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, let him deny herself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will what? will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. Can we all say radical? That's exactly what that is. None of this fuzzy bunny. Jesus came to the earth so that you can have everything you've always wished for. That is so not the gospel, friends. Jesus Christ gave himself fully for you and I so that the one who comes to Jesus Christ can fully give themselves back to him. That's the gospel. It's all about him. It's not about me. I'm sorry to say this. I wish it was. I wish it was all about me. And for you, I wish it was all about you. But the fact of the matter is, is it's all about God. And Paul got this. In fact, turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I just want to have a see here. The apostle Paul calls himself a servant, a slave. In Ephesians chapter 3, in Ephesians chapter 4, he calls himself a prisoner. He, yes, he was a prisoner at the time of the writing, which is the same prison he's in now, but he's not just referring only to that. There's dual meaning to it. He was a prisoner of Christ, wherever he was. He was a slave of Christ. Look at Acts chapter 20. Let's pick up uh, down after verse 18. Uh, Paul is talking to some people. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. There have been times, as I was reading this this week, there have been times where I'm like, man, I would so love to know what it would be like, or I'd so love to live in Paul's shoes for like a week. Uh, I kind of reverse course on that. Do you see that? Called to imprisonment and called to hurt. Afflictions. But look at verse 24. Paul says, 
Hey, you know, I do not even account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. Is that contrary to American culture teaching? But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul, a servant. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Willingly. Joyfully. Even when it was hard. Paul placed his entire life identity in Christ. He put his entire life identity chips and he placed them all on JC. Question. Where do you place your identity in? Where do you get your life identity from? Your job? Your title? Your position? Your hobby? You're being married? You're being single? You're, you're having children? All these are good things, but I'm talking about what do you put your identity in your house, in your money, in your education, in your talents, in your looks, in your image? Or let's just be seriously real here just for a moment. Christian, how much of your identity for real do you really put in Jesus Christ? I am so glad right now that God does not put up on the PowerPoint the reality that I go through and struggling through that issue in my life every week. And I know for you too. This is why Paul could say, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That should be our mantra, friends. That should be your mantra for this week. Well, let's finish reading. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul loved these people Hey, before I give this to you, read through this text here. Let's do this. Let's just kind of better catch the imagery, the reality of the circumstances because Paul's in prison. Paul is writing this from a dungeon, chained to a soldier. Okay? Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints... In Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God for all my remembrance of you always. In every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I know this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do 
It is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Do you get the idea that Paul loves these people? Philippians screams one. But. But what happens when in the oneness of it all, within the circumstances of it all, it's like the oneness gets hit by a surprise bomb? What happens when it's like everything's going right, everything's on target, everything's going the way it should be, and and yet in all of this thing, it's like, where did that come from? What's the deal with that one? You know what I'm talking about? I'm sure you do. For instance, circumstances hit our way. What if Phil, our prize player, let me say that properly, our only prize player. What if Phil had gotten hospitalized after the first game in the playoffs? I'm just telling you, from our perspective, doomed at that point. That would have been a shocker. That would have hurt. What if you lose your job? What if you've lost your job? What if you get transferred? What if your spouse becomes ill? Even in all of that where it's just like things are just like moving along. Oh, what if you desire to be married, but it's like no one's coming on the radar? Or what if as a church, you're, you're wanting to expand to be able to have increased impact to the west side of Indianapolis and beyond, and there's twists and turns in finding a place to meet? Hmm. Let me turn it this way. What if all of a sudden a person or some people kind of try and come in and sideswipe it? We're going to talk about that one next week because Paul talks about it in the verses following right after what we covered today. But today it's about the circumstances. Here's a key statement for today. I am to be increasingly all about the gospel. Say it with me. I am to be increasingly all about the gospel. Now you say it. And here's the second part. And circumstances do not change that. I am to be increasingly all about the gospel and circumstances do not change that. Whether there's circumstances in my life or whether there's circumstances coming in your life or those around me. 
I am increasingly to be all about the gospel and circumstances don't change that. God, I just pray as we kind of dip our last uh, 20 minutes here into these next three verses in verses 12, 13, and 14, I pray you would help us to grasp you. God, I really do believe that we as a church sincerely desire to be an all about you people. And to be that, each of us needs to be an increasingly all about you person. And yet the fact of the matter is, is we are so horizontally driven. I'll just say it. I am so horizontally driven at times. Placing identities in stuff. Nothing's wrong with stuff. But we don't place our identity in them. And yet, God, the fact is, we struggle not to. God, we tend to make our life circumstances the idols that we bow down to. We worship the small g God of comfort, of health, and happiness, and financial success. God, I just pray in the time we have remaining here, it would be one more step towards us increasingly growing in the understanding of placing our our identity more and more in you and the gospel call. And so I just pray, help us. In your name we pray, amen. Well, the next three verses, verses 12, 13, and what? And 14, here we go. Verse 12, Paul writing, I want you to know brothers, all right? If you've been around here, you know I don't read real long. Um, I got to take things in bits and pieces because I have a small brain. So let's break this statement up. I want you to know brothers, this is a big deal because right here at this point, Paul has just finished this immaculate love statement here of his love for these people and the history behind. And here he says, now he's turning, he's saying, I want you to know something. What? It's, it's what? It's know something, all right? Now that's different than I want you to feel something. That's different than I want you to consider something. The word that's used here is, is a use your cognitive thinking. I am now about to deal with facts. I've been dealing with facts, but there's been so much emotion that's been stated in what he's been writing. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. Uh, now I got to get on with it. I want you to know something. Okay, uh, uh, who's he writing to? Who's he writing to? Okay, the Philippians. So that's who he wants to know. I want you to know brothers. By the way, isn't it cool? He doesn't use like some organic term. Hey, you people who know Jesus out there in TV land. I mean, Paul is talking about this whole thing. He's been expressing the fact of the love and the relationship these, these folks have together. His first church plant. I'm telling you, there's something special about these are his. This is his baby but he knows this is God's baby doing a work through him. He knows the life he came from as a hater of Christians. And now he's doing what he's doing and he's writing and he's calling them brothers, brothers, sisters, love you. And he's saying, I want you to know something. Now that's interesting because they already know quite a bit about what's going on, but let's just kind of see what he says here. I want you to know brothers, what has happened to me. 
Okay, he wants them to know the circumstances. First blank, know the circumstances. Now, it's interesting because it's kind of the circumstances, but it's not really the circumstances because they already know the circumstances. (laughs) Let me clarify this. They already know that he was a prisoner for two years in Caesarea Philippi. They already know that. And in fact, he was a prisoner there for two years for uh, murder. No, for stealing. No, for uh, being really bad. No, for living for Christ. And he's been in jail there for two years. And it's, there's a whole bunch of legal riffraff that's been going on uh, and keeping him there. And then they end up sending him to Rome. And he's in Rome as a prisoner for two years, living in that. Well, that's actually not his cell, if you will, but just to give the idea, that's life chained to a guy. Uh, Listen, the Philippians knew all that, but that he wanted for them to know something else uh, because they knew he'd been there two years. They knew he'd been there two years and they knew that he was still in Rome. And so let's find out what Paul wants them to know. By the way, I just want to pause here for a second because as I just explained the situation of where Paul's at, let's just ponder this because I know you're thinking people Paul is living radically for Jesus Christ the way he should be. Paul is, let me just kind of use the term for my illustration earlier, Paul is kind of the star player. He's the star player coach, really. That God has just brought to the surface to be able to do this kind of ministry at this time. And God puts him in jail for four years. Um... How do I say this theologically? That seems awful stupid. Why would you do that? Why? God. You know what? In fact, as I think about it, God, there's so much ridiculousness going on in the world today. God, what's your deal? In fact, as I, as, I, as I think about this all, I just sit back and I go, um, God, you're so out of touch. God, you're just so irrelevant. In fact, God, you're so uncaring. Listen to me. Dot, dot, dot. This is where it leads to. If I were God, Mm-hmm. Can we all, mm-hmm? That's where it all leads to, doesn't it? You see, if I were God, I would do this whole thing differently. Because why does God allow so much bad in the world? I'm going to say it again. I've said it a number of times here. Listen, that is theologically the wrong question. The right question is this. Why does God allow so much good to happen in this world as a result of the curse of sin? That's the fact. But in it all, when we get to this place, we literally love putting ourselves, without even thinking about it, putting ourselves on God's throne and being God and thinking for God and evaluating God because, like, God doesn't know what he's doing. And we look at this situation, we go, God, what are you doing? Here's a verse to jot down to remember, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. 
Hey, friends, here's the fact. We don't get it. God does. And when am I going to be, when are you going to be, more and more the kind of people that are putting our faith in the fact that he does get it and I don't. And he's going to work it all out perfectly. And one day when I, when anyone stands before him and we go, what were you thinking? Before we get to the, what? We're going to fall on our face and the question stops. Because we're going to see God for who he fully is, exactly who he is. I just want to tell you, friends, we do not live by circumstances according to the call of the gospel. We live by faith in the God of the gospel. So what does Paul want the Philippians to know? Let's Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, look at this, has really served, we'll come back to that statement right there later, has really served to advance the gospel. No way. And the reply is, Yahweh. Okay? Yahweh, yes way, totally way. Listen, know that the circumstances of Paul are advancing the gospel. By the way, this word here that he uses for advance is a really cool word in the Greek because in it, there's words that say it's pro- things are progressing, things are just moving as a fact. The word he selects here by, this, by the uh, work of the Spirit of God, the word that he uses here is, here is a word that describes advancing that's not easy. And in fact, the word was used in the times to describe the movement of an explorer or to describe the movement of an army command unit. And it would be used to the thing of, hey, we are advancing, but it hasn't been easy for the explorer. We're advancing, but we've had to hack through the bushes, cut through it. Our legs are getting cut by the leaves. We've actually been attacked by animals. If it was the command unit, they would use this word referring to a similar thing. We're advancing, but it's not like you're skipping along out in the tulips kind of a thing. What's really going on is they've been shot at. It's been slow. It's been tough. It's been uphill. It's putting a lot of sweat behind it. Uh, Paul is so honest and real. And he says, listen, I want you to know, brothers, that in my circumstance, here's what's coming out of it. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the news that Jesus Christ fully gave himself for me, and I then need to return and fully commit myself to him, that it's starting to go out everywhere. I guess God does know what he's doing, huh? I say, I'm serious about it. How many times do I, how many times do we need to be reminded of that? Maybe that's why God wrote the word of God the way he did with so many narratives so we could see him doing a work with people. Maybe that's why God included it here so we could be able to see. Listen, friends, God's advancing his gospel in my circumstances and your circumstances. Don't change that. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul uses the phrase in there. He says, I, I'm, I'm in prison, I'm chained, but the gospel is never chained. Never. We are so horizontally minded. We struggle with it. But that's why we need to be one to help each other with that. The fact is the seeming disaster is an unequaled God opportunity. Okay, let's go into this fact because Paul doesn't just say, hey, it's really serving. He gives us two ways that it's really happening here. 
Let's move on. The gospel is going out to the unredeemed, verse 13, so that, in other words, it has really served to advance the gospel, so that, here's a purpose, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Doesn't that sound like Star Wars? So it's known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Uh, Look at this. Paul is telling here two groups of people. Number one, there's the imperial guard. The imperial guard are hearing about the good news of Jesus Christ. What's important about the imperial guard? It's this. The imperial guard was the elite military personnel. These guys were uh, usually committed for 12 to 16 years. And if they got in the imperial guard, they had it made for life. And they were committed. They were elite. They were green berets. They were like the marine stud dudes of the time. And so there they are. They had a certain number of these, and they were all the way from this. They were all the way from in the local area to keep control of what's taking place. In other words, they're on Main Street, if we want to use political terms today. But they were also all the way involved up into Caesar's household. (laughs) The imperial guard is hearing about Jesus Christ. That means men who are all the way down involved as leaders in the streets to all the way into Caesar's household, people are starting to hear about this news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? Oh, and by the way, uh, there's another group of people It's called the rest. Who are the rest? Uh, The rest. That's exactly right. Everyone else. Uh, Now, that's a lot of people. And they're hearing from Paul stuck in one spot. Who would have thought that ever would have happened? Not me. Certainly not me. The result is the rest are knowing. The rest are knowing. How are they knowing? Let me just clarify this. The Imperial Guard, how are they knowing? Well, because of this. In Paul's situation, he's chained to a guard 24-7. There is never a moment where he is literally not chained to a guard. It's not like our prison system where there's a door and then there's one or two or 12 people in a barracks depending on it and then there's that situation. That's not the case. Paul literally had somebody chained to him. Oh, a guard chained him. An imperial guard kind of guy chained him all the time. So here Paul has this guy chained to him all the time and let's just take it from the guard standpoint. He's like, hey, what you in here for, dude? And he's like, yeah, I'd love to tell you. Here's what I'm in for. But imagine, it's just like uh, Paul didn't have the Romans road. Uh, Paul didn't have the bridge illustration. Paul didn't have four spiritual laws. What did Paul have? I'm going to bring it up later again. His story. Because when you look at the way that this text is formed out, because all the rest knew that my imprisonment is for Christ. It was out of them knowing why he was prisoned, the story behind of his imprisonment, that they learned about Christ. And so here they are, shifts, coming in and coming out and coming in and coming out, 24-7 for two years. And Paul's talking to him, interacting with him, right there where God has sovereignly placed him. And guess where those guys are going? They're going out with the other guys. And they're getting together in the barracks. 
drinking Mountain Dew, doing, you know, living life. And over two years of time, they're hearing and they're talking. And all of a sudden, that starts playing in their heads. Oh, yeah, and by the way, a big God, the Spirit of God, working in that truth, that story, being told to them, can God not begin doing a work there? And on top of that, out of all that, the rest are hearing about all this. Listen, all because one one guy is stuck in one spot, willing to deny himself and live for the Lord and not cop an attitude in it, but to see a big sovereign God at work. Very cool. And the rest knew. But not only did the rest know, but take a look at this, verse 14. The redeemed began growing. Verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What's happened here? Out of all this fact is the fact that the believers in Christ in Rome are growing. The rest are knowing and believers are growing. Oh my goodness, that sounds like Matthew 20 and 19, 20 call. All stuck right there. All stuck right there. Let me just add this. I think it's proper to assume that the Roman believers had been praying for months, years, that God would do a work amongst the leadership of the country. Don't you think so? Have you ever prayed for leadership of our country that God would be doing a penetrating work there? Listen to me. God was answering that prayer. How? By putting Paul in jail. (laughs) Never would have thought of that. Uh, Could we also say that probably the believers in Rome were praying that amongst themselves they all would be maturing and growing and becoming growing disciples and better disciple makers for Christ's glory? Could we agree that they were probably praying that? Guess what? That was now happening in a new way. Because Paul was put in jail. I'll say it this way. By God. God's something else, isn't he? I never would have thought that's what he would have done. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Listen, when the oneness gets hit by circumstances, know that God is at work. The Philippians could have freaked out and go, see, God doesn't care. But Paul is reminding them, no, 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 no. I am a servant. I am a slave of Christ Jesus. And God, my life, I don't count my life is worth nothing to me. My life is fully to be for him. And if the sovereign God wants to put me in jail, even as hard as it is, it's certainly not my first wish. If God wants me there to be able to do that, you know what? (sighs) I'm serving him. And by the way, one day he's going to look back at it and be joyful as all get out that he did. Well, quickly here, three concluding takeaways. Number one, I just want to call ourselves to consider this. Lose yourself in the gospel. Lose yourself in the gospel. In other words, just folks, we need to get where this truth just comes to the place where we're so overwhelmed by it, where the reality of the presence of God being here, being doing a redeeming work in me, doing a redeeming work in you, that God wants to use you and I. I become so overwhelmed by it that I increasingly get off of me and get onto him. 
This is why we need to help each other. This is where the one comes in. And we can do that together. Lose yourself. I just challenge you this week, immerse yourself in in some passages. You can write these down. Job chapter 1 and 2. Goodness sakes, how could he respond the way he did? Immersed in Christ. Job chapter 1 and 2. Psalm 139. We had read part of it earlier. Isaiah 52 through 55. Immerse yourself in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. Lose yourself in the gospel. Secondly, all of life is worship and all of life is ministry. All of life is worship and all of life is ministry. Listen, do you feel like your circumstances, like I'm term it this way, like you're in prison? Maybe right now it's a kind of situation where it's like, frankly, I think my whole situation right now at work or at home or at school or Right now, just frankly, just kind of bites. Listen to me. We oftentimes will say, worship God in it. But I'm going to add to that, do ministry in it. That's what Paul was doing. He was worshiping God in it, but worshiping God in it by doing ministry in it. You feel chained to a situation right now or chained to a person. Maybe you have family that's just being like a nightmare for you or, or you're just, maybe it's children's choices in life or, or, or maybe it's just right now. It's just going to be straight up. It's Maybe it's right now or if it's wrong mindset or whatever in your life, you're just like, I feel chained to my spouse right now because the situation is going, listen to me, listen to me. The sovereign God has allowed you to be right there. And you're to worship him in it. And you're to do the ministry right there in it. Lose yourself in the gospel. All of life is worship. All of life is ministry. And lastly, before we do communion, I love this. In the not getting it, know it. In the not getting it, know it. Uh, uh, here's the deal. In verse 12, I made mention of it. Uh, Paul says, it's really served to advance. In the New American Standard, it says, it's turned out. It's kind of like, kawinky dink. God's doing a work in this whole blasted situation. You get the idea that Paul in it has come to times where it's like he's wrestled through it and he's come to a place in it where it's like, oh my word, it's actually working out well. I was on the team of the Island of Misfit Toys. But know this, even in the times where it's like, what are you doing? I don't get it. I don't even like it. I don't even want it. I'm even praying it away. But know this, even in the times when you don't get it, know it. God is sovereign Lord of all things. And he wants to do a work in you at that time. And he wants to do a work through you in that time. And believe me, I do not say that easily. It's hard. Well, it's time to take communion. And as we prepare for that, as we have the worship team come in, as we have those who are getting ready to serve communion, if you could just go ahead and get set up in your places. I just want to uh, encourage you with this. This is a perfect time to have communion. And remembering back, maybe for you right now as we're talking, it's like, you know what? 
I've been failing in worshiping God and in doing ministry for God in my situation. I just want to say, friends, right now, would you just repent of that, confess that to the Lord? Maybe you need to get someone to help you through it. We'd love to be able to do that. If it's the kind of thing to where you're just hurting and struggling, I hope this gives you hope. God is trying to do something in you and through you. And all of this comes back because of the cross. Our Savior, who knew what it was about,